So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is your host, Aaron LeBauer, and today I've got another special guest. His name is Vikram Sethraman. He is the founder and CEO of PT Wired. Um, PT Wired is a branded app for physical therapists and patients to use to engage patients, um, do some marketing, uh, retain uh, clients, uh, and what else? Like um, help people with their home exercise, but also more than that, it's more about it's what I've seen on the back end. It's more about creating a uh, continuity of care with patients um, when they're in your clinic and when they're at home. So. Um, we've gotten to know Vikram over the last uh, year or so, and he lives here in Greensboro right now. <laughs> We're not in the same building, um, and I'm excited to have him on the show. So, Vikram, thanks you for being here. Thanks a lot for having me, Aaron. Yeah, it's awesome. So, um, first, let's get this out in the air. Uh, you're a Carolina fan, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Die hard since before I went to Carolina, and of course... <laughs> When I was at Carolina, and of course, since I was, you know, have graduated from Carolina. Yeah. So, so I guess that's the only thing we haven't gotten along with. <laughs> We're not on the same page with. <laughs> right, right. So everyone knows, like, I'm a Duke fan. I went to Duke, and uh, the podcast can end in about five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so who was, uh, who was, uh, like, were you into the basketball? Like, were you into basketball? When you oh, were? yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Who, so who was playing when you were at, in school? Oh man, see, this is the tragic part because my senior year was the Villanova shot. Oh wow. That was my senior year. And then I graduate and then they win the next year. So, <laughs> and then, like the whole academic scandal, that was all while I was there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the guys that I, I remember were like Marcus Page and those guys. But yeah, um, yeah unfortunately, I kind of had the, the worst window to go in terms of being there for like the big wins. But, um. <laughs> awesome. Well, I went. To, I got to Duke in uh, '96, '97, a year after they won back-to-back -back championships, and so we had mm. some really bad years. My first two years, and stuff. <laughs> um, but that was the year where Jeff Capel hit the tying oh yeah forty-foot shot uh, to send Duke Carolina into double overtime, and uh, like we were unranked, and Carolina was like ranked number three or yeah. something. Yeah, that was crazy. It was nuts. And, that was <laughs> and the whole place was like shaking. It was like Ricky Wallace and um, Vince Stackhouse. Stack, oh, Stackhouse and was it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. We still had um, four, four NBA players as well. <laughs> that year they were just, they, they, it was like two years after the championship. It was still like rebuilding. It was nuts. But um, well, that's awesome. So now that we got that done, uh, tell me, um, you're not a physical therapist, are you? No, no. So I'm one of the few people that get into this, um, this kind of industry from the patient side. Yeah. Um, you mentioned we, we have a home exercise app with a bunch of other things like marketing and patient engagement, which I'm sure we'll get into. But mm -hmm. the way I got into it was thinking just about the home exercise piece from my perspective as a patient. Um, so while I was at UNC, I played club sports and had you know, hip labral tear, torn PCL, sprained MCL, like, you know, I was beaten up the whole time. So 
lots of physical therapy from the patient side. Um, and I just got a, you know, a piece of paper with my exercises written down. And that's just the very, very initial idea of, you know, this could be on an app. This could be a HEP on an app. Of course, that's grown a lot from that point to, you know, how can this be a marketing tool for clinics and how can this be a patient retention tool for clinics? But the very, very beginning was just a simple thought from me as a patient of, you know, I wish I had this on my exercises on an app. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So was it, what year was this when you were like in PT school or like getting PT and in, in school getting PT? Like, you know, were there, I mean, when I was in school, there were no apps. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was 2015. Um, okay. when it was my junior year at UNC and I, this is when I had torn my PCL and I was going in uh, to the UNC sports med clinic. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's when I was getting the paper back then. What was so difficult about it? Like, what was the, the thing, like, what did you really expect or what did you feel like you needed? Um, and what weren't, weren't you getting? Yeah. I mean, to me, it came back a lot to, you know, I, I was, very, very motivated. I was extremely, you know, I was an athlete, so I wanted to get back as quickly as possible, um, like do everything I could to optimize my recovery. And the paper just didn't seem like it was helping me do that. So it was very frustrating because of course, when I'm in the clinic, you know, I get instructions from my PT, they're giving me cues, they're reminding me about things that I don't remember with the exercise. It's just so much more than, you know, the exercise name and then three sets of 10, right? So when I'm at home doing my exercises, I know that I'm not optimizing my recovery. So it's very frustrating. And then I'm also thinking like about these other things like, oh, well, if I have the app, I could see a video of it, which would be great. But I could also, you know, message my PT and ask them a question to clarify rather than having to wait a full week until I see them next and then miss out on all that potential, you know, improvement. And, you know, in the worst case, deterioration if I'm doing something wrong. Um, yeah. So from my perspective, it was really just optimizing my experience as a patient, as a highly motivated patient who wanted to get better. Yeah. That's awesome. Words. So were you at that moment like, oh man, if they only had an app to do this, or was it a while later where this kind of idea came to you? So it was at that moment, but it wasn't something that I like really pursued until my senior year and like after graduating. That's when I was really thinking, because at that time, you know, I was just a patient who had one experience, but um, there was so much, I know there's so much more to the industry and all these things I didn't know that clinic owners think and PTs who are practicing think and all these other things. Um, so it took all of my senior year and having lots of discussions with PTs, you know, bringing PTs onto the team as advisors, um, really learning about the other side of the problem to see how this could actually, uh, if, if it was a viable business, and then, you know, what changes needed to be made to really make it valuable to the clinic owner and the, the, the PT themselves and not just thinking about it from the patient mindset. Right. So were you like, I mean, were you in school studying like philosophy and you're like, wait, there's, uh, I think I'm going to start my own business. Or were you there already doing something like computer programming? And did you have an, you know, like I'm going to work for someone else, but wait, there's a problem. I need to start my own business. Like what was the trajectory? <laughs> Not philosophy though. Maybe I'll go back to that one day. Um, I was doing business, but I was, em my emphasis was in finance. So that was my plan to go into finance. 
But fortunately, it was a very easy switch within the business school to go to entrepreneurship just as an emphasis. So my major didn't change, but then I just started taking all entrepreneurial classes, which was really convenient because, I mean, every, you know, I'm a student, but then I'm still working on the business and like all of my classes. So I'm getting, you know, business time and then also class credit for everything and then making connections and all these things. So by the time I graduated, I was really plugged in already to the North Carolina entrepreneurial um, community, which was, of course, essential to to get to the point we are now. That's awesome. You know what? I didn't have that opportunity at Duke. They were like, <laughs> you're going to be a, a doctor or a physician. You're going to be a lawyer. Or you're going to do management consulting, or we don't know what to do with you. So uh, the most useful class I took was public speaking. Um, everything else was just like, mm. I mean, there were some other things. But, you know, that's the, I, I think going back to it, like, that's really cool that you have that opportunity to take classes that uh, helps you grow your business like while you're in school because we don't get that as PTs and I didn't get that anywhere else. Yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of neglected. I mean, I think it's changing, but, you know, it's been neglected and I still think there's a lot of room to go because when I made the switch, it was very, very unconventional. And, you know, I had to really kind of seek out that as an option versus like, it being presented to me the same way finance so, and, you know, banking like a elective type of focus for, for you. Is that yeah. how that was? Yeah. And it's very fringe. Like half the people in my class were grad students, which would never be the case with like, um, you know, finance and everything else with the undergrad program. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very, very, you know, different path from, from the majority of people for sure. That's awesome. Did like, so did you go to school knowing you're going to start a business or is it just like, did you just, I mean, did, like, were your parents entrepreneurs? Did, like, did you like grow up around other people that own businesses? Yeah. So no, I, I did not know I wanted to start a business at all. In fact, I thought I really didn't. <laughs> and my parents were entrepreneurs, both of them. Um, so I had that in my background and a lot of people in my family have been. Um, but I was still very risk averse. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to business school because, you know, business applies to everything. Right. And then I didn't know what I wanted to do in business school. So I did finance because everybody's doing finance. Right. So it just, it was just convenient, um, and, and kind of easy. But once I started working on this and really thinking about the problem and learning more about the problem for like the clinic owner, that's when I really, you know, decided to go for it. Um, and it was nice having, you know, a, a family of entrepreneurs who rather than being, you know, critical of the decision and, and kind of recommending a more stable and uh, um, traditional path, they were very supportive because they had been through the, the, the process themselves. So oh, that's awesome. That's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. I think a lot of people like me, like my parents don't really understand. They kind of do, but not really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and they were supportive, but they, you know, like I didn't grow up thinking, I didn't go through PT school thinking, look, I'm going to start a business. Like, you know, um, I think, uh, so that's great. Was there one thing that you learned in school that prepared you really well, um, for your business or something you learned that you were like, it just does, has no real life application. Um, I think, I think the, so the very first class I took was the class my junior year where PT Wired was my class project. Yeah. Um, and I think the big thing is like, you know, the guy, like they threw out the textbook and the guy was just like, let's do the problems. Like, let's, you know, get an idea and just start going with it rather than like us talking about entrepreneurial theory or like, you know, reading about different entrepreneurs. Let's just like try an idea and just start going with it. 
because I don't, that's, that's really what entrepreneurship is. I mean, you know, everybody who listens to your podcast knows you're doing all these different things. It's not ever really by the book, like there are books for it, but it never always goes to the book. It's really just learning about the, the processes of thinking through the problems and, you know, analyzing different situations. That's what day-to-day entrepreneurial life is. So um, I like that that was the approach they took from day one, where it was just like, boom, this is what you do, which is, was totally different from all the other classes that, you know, you go through in college where it's just like, all right, this is the curriculum. These are the tests. Like, it's just so structured, whereas entre- entrepreneurship is anything but structured. Um, so, yeah, that was that was just my glimpse into the, uh, the life of entrepreneurship. And I mean, I got addicted like instantly and I was like, wow, this is the fit for me. <laughs> I'm so glad that like this hat, like I happen to have ended up in this class. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, let's see. So what, uh, like getting your business started and I want to dig into what uh, PT wire does a little bit, um, in a minute, but I want to know like, what was the hardest thing about getting it started or proving the concept? Um, what was like, was there a, like a big roadblock that you had to overcome early on? Um, I think the big thing is just kind of what I was mentioning earlier, where I'm a patient, I'm coming in trying to build software for physical therapy clinics and owners. Um, so that was just a, a knowledge gap that I knew I needed to fill and like, you know, from coming from the patient side, I think this would be valuable to me as a patient. So yeah, that's it. great, great product, right? But then once you take it to PTs, obviously they're thinking from the PT side. So then there's a whole other, it's a two-sided market, like the, the payers of the PTs, the users of the patients and the PTs. Um, so really just doing that customer discovery was so, so key. And as much as I would love to take full credit for like knowing I needed to do all that, that was something that was kind of beaten into me by my professors in an early accelerator that we went through. It was it was really talking about those pieces and, and kind of talking to as many P- PTs as possible to learn the problems um, because that's what kind of made, you know, put us in the position to make changes very early on that um, seemed were invaluable. And, you know, things like branded apps, for example, like one of the big things we do is every clinic gets their own branded app versus just like one PT wired app. That wasn't something I thought about originally, but when I went to all these PT um, practices and spoke with owners, I learned about the importance of branding, about the importance of marketing for private practice and how, you know, a lot of PTs, they um, work for a while in a big chain or in like a hospital, and then they, you know, take the risk of starting their own practice. And it's like a big deal and they like have their brand and they love their brand. So um, that was something we learned. And as a result, early on, we made the decision to do branded apps. So everybody keeps their own uh, branded app versus using a third-party app. And that's been a huge thing. Um, and that was all just from talking to PTs really early on. That's awesome. So you said uh, customer discovery. Like, to me, that's a big word. Like, I, I know what it <laughs> is, but can you explain a little bit what it is and what are some of the, uh, what's the process you go through? Or what are the questions you ask? Yeah, so customer discovery as a whole is basically um, a process of, uh, getting information from who you think are your customers, because part of that process may actually invalidate that they actually are your customers, but who you think are your customers. And it's basically, um, if you're doing it right, it's asking questions to learn about their problems to see if your idea fits their problems. Uh, a lot of people will take the wrong approach of just saying, going to a person and saying, 
hey, what do you think about this idea? And just presenting the solution, uh, which is the wrong way of doing it because a lot of people want to just make you, you know, feel happy or, you know, they, they, it may not be the first thing that comes to their mind. And, but if you present it like that, then they may just tell you what you want to hear where it's like, oh yeah, that's great. Um, but the right way to do it is to say like, what are the biggest problems you have day to day? And then see if your solution actually lines up with any of those. So for me, what I was thinking when I first did that was like, all right, what are the biggest problems you have day to day? Um, I was thinking in terms of like, okay, patients don't do their exercises because piece of paper, like things like vary from my mindset. Um, but then I got answers like, oh, patient retention can be tough and like, you know, patient adherence. So it was like kind of what I expected, but then also using different terms and then something like retention. For example, I didn't know that low adherence leads to like low uh, patient who doesn't do their exercises. That's the number one indicator that they're going to drop out and that for clinics, 20% of patients drop out within the first three visits. And a recent study said that only 7% 7 of patients are retained for clinics with more, more than one PT. Like these are just crazy low numbers, which me as a, as a patient, I have no idea about that until I start asking the clinic owner their ideas about, you know, what their problems are. Um, and then seeing how my solution actually lines up with that, if it even does. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Those are great. That is some crazy numbers. Yeah. Excuse yeah. It's me. pretty surprising. Yeah. It's, um, that's really crazy. And do you like, did you get those for just from your surveys or did you, how'd you find, where'd you get that information? So, um, a lot of them are from WebPT's state of rehab therapy. Um, I think so the 20% in the first three visits, I think that was from, um, the strive, a, a study from Strive Labs from from a while ago, um, but it's all been pretty consistent. Like I think for WebPT, they they did that for several years in a row. I haven't seen it in one of the recent therapy reports, but they did it for several years in a row, and the retention rates are always just super super low. And I think a lot of people, a lot of P, uh, PTs, when they think of growing their practice, they're thinking just about customer acquisition and like getting new patients in the door. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas what we do is we focus on, you know, you have patients, uh, how do we get them to book, you know, how do we get the full uh, value of the patient by actually getting them to discharge rather than drop out? And then what else can happen there? Like if they get to discharge, they're going to be a happier patient. They may send you referrals. They may send you, you know, friends, family members, they're going to return for future care. So it's not even just about that one life cycle of the patient. It's, it's you know, what the downstream effects are. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you look at, when you see the numbers of, of dropout and adherence and the fact that adherence is the number one indicator of dropout, um, some people know about that. Some people don't, but that's always the, the first thing that I talk about with, with people on demo calls is like, what are your numbers? And that, that helps kind of figure out if it, if PT wired could be a fit for them. Yeah. That's awesome. I bet people don't even know their numbers though, do they? Not many. Some people do because some EMRs, um, track them, mm -hmm. um, but even for a lot of people on those EMRs, a lot of them don't know their numbers. Um, so, and, and that doesn't mean they don't know any numbers, but just not like the retention and the dropout numbers. Um, they may just be focused on, you know, how many new patients we're getting, how many visits, how many evals we're doing overall versus um, specifically looking at averages per patient. Yeah. You know, there was a number I used to know this. It's something like uh, a former or current 
client or customers, like 60 or 70% more li- likely to do business with you again than a brand new customer. You know, yeah, the probability like 80% number. I can't remember what that number is. No, you're exactly right. The probability of selling to an existing customer is 60 to 70%, whereas a new customer is five to 20%. Right. Um, so you should always really focus on the people who are already in the door to make sure they're having the best experience versus just focusing on getting new people because um, the ROI is just going to be more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. People always ask me, like, I need more new patients. I'm like, great. <laughs> What are you doing to uh, convert them to your plan of care and how are you retaining them and getting them to uh, refer you other people? And they're like, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm like, okay, let's start there. <laughs> you know, it's really hard and people are really upset and unsatisfied with like ads and paying for leads and, you know, but they think, cause they think they need more new people. So um, what are some of the ways that uh, you've seen people be successful with, um, with retention, like what are some of the things that you guys uh, do to help uh, your clients and clinics retain patients? Yeah. So like I said, 70% of patients don't do their at home exercises. Like that's, I think everybody kind of knows that, that not everybody's doing their exercises, but then I don't think everybody realizes that the number one indicator of a dropout is somebody not doing their exercises, which isn't rocket science, right? Like if they're not doing their exercises, they're not getting better. Why would they want to keep coming in? Um, but what we looked at is the reasons that people don't do their exercises and the top four are, are low social support, goal setting, um, reconstruct or restructuring misconceptions and positive affect. So basically what we did with the app is build the app to address as many of those in as much of a way as we can. So something like social support, I mentioned the piece of paper that I had, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I go home and I have that piece of paper social support isn't that high, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not like I have a lot of support until I'm back in the clinic. I mean, when you're in the clinic, it's exceptional because, you know, you have the person right there, they're giving you cues, they're giving you encouragement. It's awesome. Um, and the idea that, that we kind of try to do is, but we say, basically we were your clinic in an app. Like we want the patient to have that same experience that they get in the clinic with the app and the app has your clinic on it because it's a branded app. So the whole the whole course of care, we want them to be feel as supported as and engaged as they are in the clinic at home. Um, so social support, we have a HIPAA compliant messaging system on the app that they can get in touch with their PT. And also the PT can track all of the patient's um, adherence data. So the patient knows they're being tracked, they know, um, which that helps from an accountability standpoint, which is also a big behavioral thing, but it also helps from, um, you know, just the support of knowing that somebody else is kind of with you in it. Um, and then that ties into goal setting, which is another of the behavioral reasons that people don't do the exercises that I mentioned. With goal setting, as soon as they log into the app for the first time, they're already kind of bought into a, a, a goal system with achievements and trophies and progress tracking. Like they're get, it gamifies the process in a goal setting way um, to help with that. And so those are some of the things we do um, in terms of just making the, the app as effective as possible. Um, so really, it really does feel more like you're still in the clinic in terms of having support and education and instructions that you need to optimize your care. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, what were some of the, like, besides like patient retention, you know, what were some of the other problems that uh, PTs had that you spoke to that you guys like are helping them with or you, that you thought were, um, you know, like 
were like like needed needed some kind of problem solving you know yeah big the big thing was marketing um i as a patient i had no idea like what marketing was to a practice owner obviously um so once i learned about that then i then we started to think about okay how can this tool also be a marketing tool for for clinics um for example one of the things we do is we ask patients to leave google reviews through Google and Facebook reviews through the app, mm -hmm. through things like um, pop-ups based on engagement levels, as well as things like um, on the front page of the app, you can customize different prompts to ask people to leave reviews. So of course that helps to generate um, reviews, which will lead to more business. Um, but then also things just generally like um, using the app as a uh, marketing platform for messages, announcements, promotions, you can put up announcements on the app. You can type up a push notification and click a button and then everybody with the app will get it. Um, so for example, something like, hey, we've got a free back workshop next week. You know, somebody who has back pain, you know, click here and then we'll send you, you'll have the details on the app and it'll come through as a push notification. Um, things like that, uh, that, that can then just make everything as easy as possible. Um, and then from another standpoint, things like things we learned about the front office and how front offices can be really overloaded with work and with calls and things like that. Um, so thinking about how we could relieve that, we added appointment scheduling to the app, which integrates with EMR systems. Um, that's through a partner company, Better Healthcare Now. They used to be Better PT, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of. Basically, um, patients can book appointments directly from the app. Um, it, they, it will pull the availability from the EMR. They can pick the, pick the appointment. It will push it back to the EMR. So then now they don't have to call into the clinic every single time to book an appointment that reduces the workload of the front office. And it all just also just makes it super, super easy because it's all there on the app. And then on that same topic of um, relieving front office pains, uh, making payments, they can make payments within the app if they have to make a payment for the practice. So really positioning it now is kind of the all encompassing digital, digital engagement platform for a PT practice. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's dope. So what, <laughs> tell me about the, like, what was the brand, like, what's the branded thing? Like, why did, why did people want like something branded uh, to their own clinic? And why was that valuable or something you thought was um, something, you know, important to, you know, do? Because I can assume it's extra work on your part to rebrand something for each account <laughs> rather than just say, hey, you just have a login, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is, but it's worth it for sure. And um, first of all, it's just a touch point, you know, with the brand identity of the practice, you know, if they're, if the patient's only seeing that a couple times a month when they're going into the practice and maybe through a couple of emails, it's not going to create as lasting of an impression, but if they have it on their device um, and they have, they see the logo, they see the name every single day, even if they're not doing the exercises, they're just seeing it on their phone as we use it every day. Um, it's a, it's a strong impression that, that leads to, leads to, uh, it leaves a mark. But more than that, it's just impressive, you know, for a practice of even just a couple PTs to be able to say, we have our own app. It communicates to the patient that the clinic is really doing everything they can to give the best possible experience to the patient. And that goes a long way. I had a, I had a client just a couple of days ago, I was on the phone and um, they said something which, which I thought was really cool, which was like, exercises are our pill as physical therapists. Like it's, it's not just like, you know, something to, to not really think too much about, like, it's, it's a huge part of, of what's being provided to the person. 
So the, the platform to provide it needs to be like an impressive thing also to be taken seriously because if the exercises are done well, then they're gonna get better. They're gonna have a good experience. They're gonna go to more visits. So you're gonna make more money. They're gonna refer friends. They're gonna refer family members. Um, so that was, that was one part of the branding piece. Um, but then also uh, in addition to just having the touch point uh, and the, just the impressive part of it, um, yeah, just, just being able to engage them with it whenever with like an announcement, a push notification. Um, and, you know, you've already invested marketing money into getting them in the door, into, you know, sharing that with them. People don't care about the PT Wired brand. Like the patient doesn't want to see a third party brand they don't understand. Like they care about your reputation because that's what you're building. Um, so for me, that was a big thing where it's like, this is the platform for the PT to engage with their patient. Like nobody cares about PT Wired. They care about the PT practice. And I don't want to take them out of that experience because it's a very important personal experience between them. Um, so that's another thing to just keep it as connected as possible. That's awesome. That's very cool. So what, um, before I, move, I think I'm going to, I got a slightly different uh, topic, but I want to get back to like, uh, a little bit about like, okay, building a business like this, it's like a software as a service. It's a, or it's a business to business service rather than you're, you're helping a business, a, a B2C company, right? You're helping PT clinics uh, market directly to patients. So um, if, if you're marketing to other businesses, like them, know there are a few people on here that help other businesses, uh, just like uh, you and I do. What are some of the different marketing strategies that you use um, B2B than you help people do like B2C? Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, I think uh, one thing with us is it's, it's not always, um, part of the process has been an educational marketing. Uh, because I think a lot of people think of home exercise programs in a very, you know, siloed way based on how they have been in the past where it's like, okay, here's a program to print out something that I can search and get images from, or even if it does have a video component, like it's just an exercise platform. Um, so part of the process has been educational marketing for us where we say, yes, it's a home exercise program, but then think about all the other things that you can do, like messaging like asking them for Google and Facebook reviews, um, appointment scheduling, bill pay, uh, push notification marketing. So basically um, that, that's been a big thing for us is publishing content, you know, having conversations exactly like we are now um, to kind of open that, open the door for people's minds to, to consider that um, versus just thinking, you know, home exercise programs, A, B, C, D, you know, they all do home exercise programs. Mm -hmm. um, that's one thing that's been the case for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And did you write this whole program yourself or did you get other people to help you? <laughs> uh, no, so my, I have a partner, Patrick, who's the CTO. Um, and then we have um, some other developers that, that, uh, that work on the app. Um, I do pretty much all the, the UI, UX, um, but the actual coding, um, no, Patrick and the other the developers, they, they handle that. Um, and then, yeah, these days, mostly I'm, I'm kind of just doing sales, doing operations and uh, marketing. Yeah, that's awesome. And you, I mean, in our conversation uh, last week or so, you were also telling me using like virtual assistants, I mean, and people remotely, can you like 
like you guys aren't all in the same town, right? You're in no. You're pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I think virtual assistants are <laughs> not enough people use them. Based on my experience, I know we talked about this, and I've I've talked to some other people that we know about this. Um, but yeah, I think uh, like my experience with virtual assistants has been amazing. I mean, um, I I work with not just virtual assistants, but kind of offshore. One of our developers is offshore. Um, but having more hands on deck to just help with operations, help with customer service, help with customer success, it's huge. And um, I would definitely consider, or I, I would definitely recommend to anybody who has um, really any business, I don't think it has to be, it doesn't have to be a software business, but any business to just think about like, think carefully about all the things you do and then what could be outsourced and um, you know, what could you film, you know, a screen recording of yourself doing that doesn't take, you know, tons of analysis or, you know, crit like, you know, thinking analytically and all that, but mostly it's just like getting a process and doing it. What do you have like that? How much of those tasks do you have? How much time does it take? And then how much time is that worth it to you? Because you can hire somebody to do those things and do them well and do them um, very dependably. And it probably doesn't cost nearly as much as you think. And then what could you be doing with all your time that you were doing all those things to grow the business? Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people think just onshore with some things and um, that can you know delay growth and, and also just make things more expensive really to, to get past certain um, milestones yeah i think it's called uh it's called international arbitrage or something like that <laughs> basically i'm i'm using people who you know like to do certain time i mean if i can teach something someone something it's almost like i shouldn't be doing it right if i can pay them less than i charge to do the same thing um 80 is good enough uh then i should pass it off to someone else and for there's some things that it's like you know um probably like video, like video editing, coding, even social media posting, you know, it's like we can, we can get in, a lot of people to do that um, here, you know, in the United States or even in other countries where the dollar goes a long way and it goes a long way for, you know, the other people too. So um, mm -hmm. I, I just think like it's, it's unique that you understand that not many people do. And I, I, I believe in it and we've been teaching our platinum mastermind members how to do this, but uh, I want to make sure everyone here knows it's just like, it's not just, you know, one or two people doing this. Like a lot of people are building massive businesses with remote uh, workers, virtual assistants and offshore teams. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've like, I could talk about that. Like we, we could do a whole podcast just about this because I, I feel really strongly about it. Um, but yeah. And, and they, like another thing to think about is, if, if somebody's on the fence about it, if they're like, yeah, like maybe it could work, but then it also like, I'm not sure if it's a perfect fit for what we do. It's really not expensive to find that out. And I mean, you can get an answer to that question and you could get it quickly and it would be very decisive one way or the other. So why not try it? Because imagine that it will work. Imagine how much better that can make your, your life and how much time it will open up. Um, because really you can just like, like you were talking about, if you can explain it to somebody, you could just film a video of yourself explaining it and then hire one person, send them the video, see how they do. They don't do well, hire another person. You don't have to go through that explanation again. You just send them the video and then 
I probably, I doubt it will take many. I mean, obviously it depends what specifically it is, but um, I doubt it'll be difficult to find somebody that can make your life a lot easier at a price that is definitely affordable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a couple other things that I think about when doing this is I want to like tell them, show them and uh, I want them to, <clears throat> I want to like, and write it down and read it, you know, so I'll write mm -hmm. it and I'll tell them and I'll show them visually. So that's why I use like a screen recording is to do the two of those things. And that, I mean, that helps my, my team members that live in Florida, you know, and it's like, like <laughs> Oh, I, I get the contact because the context of what we want in our brain isn't always uh, clear in one form of communication. And so that's why I use like all three. Um, is I, I love that yeah. one more, one more thought. I love that because yeah, like what I did with my first virtual assistant is I did the recording. I sent it over um, to her and then asked her to do something. And then after she did it and it, I, I kind of reviewed it, then I had her write a guide on how to do it for mm -hmm. the next virtual assistant. So then I could read the guide, make sure that's all good. Um, and then it covers those three, just exactly how you said it covers all of those. Um, and yeah, then, then it's also like that work gets paid forward to the next VA that's hired. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. It's, we, uh, as people go along, they're building out their uh, alien abduction manual, right? <laughs> exactly. Them, it's like we could sit down and like, here's the main, that's what's called the standard operating procedure, the SOP. So it's like part of their job is to build this out as they go. Um, that's really mm -hmm. awesome. Um, Vikram, what, uh, what else should I ask you about? Like, is there anything that I haven't asked that you think would be important, whether it's about, you know, problems that, some, that you've seen physical therapists struggling with or, uh, some of the business, um, challenges and successes that you've had? Um, yeah, I think, I think really just the numbers, like you mentioned, I, we, you, you asked, you, you said not a lot of people probably know those numbers and it's true. So I think everybody should know those numbers. Like you need to know what your retention rate is, your dropout rate. Um, like, and then how a lot of people don't realize a 5% increase in retention can, can be like a 25% increase in revenue. So moving the needle a little bit for something like that can have a huge impact. Um, so if you don't know, understand those numbers, then I think you may be kind of, you know, shooting in the dark to, to make decisions. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the numbers we focus on are the adherence, the dropout, the retention. That's how my product helps clinics make more money. Um, and then just kind of creating the whole impressive marketing um, experience, the, the impressive engagement experience for the patient that then has a marketing channel for the PT. But yeah, the, my number one thing would, I would say, just know your numbers. And then if they're bad, figure out how you can change them. Yeah. So what's the, how do you measure retention? Is it uh, number of patients uh, evaluations at, versus number of uh, like, discharge like discharge uh, evaluations or graduations or is it you know is there a number like three visits or five visits where we need to look for the drop-off well yeah i mean it's really just number of so i want i would just know your average visits per patient um like is that eight is it 10 is it 12 um i would just know that in general even though you shouldn't um draw conclusions solely from that i think it's an important one to know um, but the big thing is, so like with dropout, it's how many disappear and how many get to drop out. Like how many evals do I get and how many discharges do I have? Because everybody else is a dropout. Um, and 
you know, that's not always ba a bad dropout. Like some people have a great quick like improvement and then they self-discharge and they could still be happy. They could still return. They could still send you friends or family or, you know, whatever. But um, still you should, you should have an idea of what those numbers are. Um, and then, you know, think about how then crunch the numbers. Like, see, all right, I make this much per eval. I make this much per visit. And I have an average of five visits per patient. If I bump that up to 5.5, what is, what's the change in my bottom line? And I think people would be pretty surprised by how significant small change, seemingly small change like that will impact their bottom line. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things I always do on my demo for the people that have their numbers. I've got a whole like spreadsheet that we, we go through where we kind of say like, okay, these are your current numbers, your current rates. This is how small impacts and retention can impact that. Um, so I'm happy to, I'm happy to go through that with people if they want to, but yeah, I think, um, those are the numbers I would, I would think about. And then, um, based on how those are look into why, because, you know, it may not always be that it's because the exercise programs aren't, aren't good. Like it may be, you know, there's something else that's causing the dropout to happen. Like maybe there's just not enough. Um, you're, you're not like scheduling the patients um, in advance enough. You're not kind of going after people who may be forgetful to make sure they get into their next visit, even if they're having a good experience. So digging into the numbers, if the numbers are seem problematic and, and figuring out what the indicators are. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Um, Vikram, if someone wants to learn more about you or PT Wired, um, or even, you know, check it out and get a demo, what's the best place to go or where do they find you? Yeah. So, um, we have our website, www.ptwired.com. That's P-T-W-I-R-E-D on the t-shirt here, but it's, it's flipped. So I guess some people are just listening audio. Um, that's, that's a good way to, we've got like explanations of what we do on there and you could book a demo there if you want to. Um, and my email is vikram at ptwire.com. So you can email me V-I-K-R-A-M uh, if you're interested in chatting, interested in discussing. Um, and I know Aaron, we're doing a, I've got a Labauer discount code for 25% off the first four months. If somebody is listening to this and uh, um, wants to use that. Um, awesome. But yeah. What's the code? Is it just LeBauer or? Just LeBauer, okay. yeah, LeBauer. Um, and yeah, so so get you can, we can get in touch, we can chat and uh, I'd, I'd be happy to to chat with anybody. And like I said, dig through the numbers, tell you more about PT Wired and um, just learn about the, the problems that people have and see if we could help. Awesome. Well, um, Vikram, thanks for uh, being here. I'm gonna have to uh, set up a time with you to um, come by and we'll uh, meet in person, take a, <laughs> like a, uh, Take I, got a, I got a little gift for all my podcast guests uh and i'll just give that to you in person so yeah the shipping is probably lower for me right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um but i'll be in touch uh thank you so much for being here on the show today um for everyone listening uh be sure you uh dig into your you know dropout rate and see like what's happening and don't forget to uh focus on your current patients um before you go out and look for more new patients um, and we'll be uh, talking more about uh, marketing strategies, uh, retention strategies, et cetera. But the important thing to remember is do what's right for your patients and make sure that they stick to their plan of care. And how can you do that uh, by communicating with them? I think this is a really amazing episode um, and I've learned a ton and uh, would love to hear your feedback. So just shout us out on Instagram sometime, tag me, um, you tag at PT Wired and uh, let us know and we'll reshare you. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks.
Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint. Because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there, I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And when you get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.